you shouldn't have to hold it down. I think you should be able to just press it and then it just starts recording. Yeah, but I have, you say I have to hold it fairly close to my mouth. Hello, my name is Mpo Madzipa, and you're listening to the African Mobilities podcast series, in which we explore how architecture responds to the complexities of migration, as well as the circulation of people, ideas, resources, and aesthetics, both in physical space and in spaces of the imagination. Over the next three volumes, our ensemble of designers, urbanists, artists and theorists will engage in conversation about circulation and cartographies, prototypes and speculative futures as a lens for understanding old and new imaginaries about African and diasporic cities, landscapes and ideas of home. Abdul-Malik Simone is an urbanist with an enduring interest in the spatial and social compositions of urban areas in Africa, South and Southeast Asia. He also explores how to build viable institutions capable of engaging with the complexities of life across the so-called majority world under the rubric of popular economies. And importantly for this discussion, he explores the effects of globalized generic blackness as an organizing instrument of urban life and the kinds of political instruments that are entailed in circumventing racialized systems of control. In this podcast, we discuss different ways of making collective life under the rubric of inoperable relations. I started our conversation by asking him to take me through the concept of inoperable relations in relation to circulation. Thank you for uh, for initiating this uh, discussion and for the the kinds of questions that you are posing. the The notion of inoperable relations basically is two things. I mean, one one it is a way in which to engage and understand processes of urbanization at its various scales and trajectories and logics in ways that continuously unsettle any particular kind of disposition amongst these relations. So I'm wondering why this notion of unsettling becomes important at this moment. And it's also a global moment in which, you know, we're in a moment of global lockdown where it's created a kind of crisis around the global circulation of people, the global circulation of capital, and also the way it's kind of interrupted cartographies of empire. So I'm wondering why this becomes important at this particular historical moment for you. I mean, in in some ways, the pandemic, the, the crisis and the conditions of the pandemic are grafted onto uh, already fairly momentous alterations in the the composition of of urban regions across much of the uh, much of the global south they entail 
oftentimes the same maneuvers, which is the kind of conversion of urban space into logistical hubs, massive investment in in infrastructures of of circulation, logistical circulation, the the conversion of space into zones of coordination of financial services, of basically the the constant repositioning of urban regions within larger scales of their articulation to global circuits of exchange and accumulation rather than ongoing investments in substantiating and sustaining the residential settlements of majority populations. And as a result, many of those majority populations are being shuttled around, shifted, uh, upended. The practices of livelihood formation, the social infrastructures of care, the, the, the concrete and material platforms through which they have been enabled are subject to all kinds of assaults and underinvestment. And what this, what this has prompted then are, are two particular kinds of trajectories, one of which is that certain, certain areas, certain communities begin to dig in. They begin to find ways to retreat further into particular atmospheres and practices of opacity, trying to regulate how visible they are uh, to assessment and scrutiny. Others spread out, uh, disperse, toward, spatially toward the periphery, but with a sense of, of provisionality. It's not so much that they want to mobilize all of their resources to to anchor themselves in place. Rather, they see these as kind of short-term launching pads that facilitate their circulation across the region. And so these two, these two particular kinds of trajectories, digging in, I mean, two different ways of regulating visibility, one by digging in and the other by spreading out. In some ways, the pandemic conditions are grafted onto these already existing trajectories. And so, in some ways, what it means to lock down, what it means to appropriate the the kinds of Western logics of epidemiological control don't really make that much sense within these kinds of contexts. And so you have what you have in some sense revealed is, is a fundamental disconnect in many ways. So the relationship then between the apparatuses of control and scrutiny and assessment and these kinds of trajectories of of endurance on the ground is a relationship that is in some ways fundamentally inoperable in 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 that way it's a kind of as a kind of a kind of disconnect in terms of their ability to in some ways to act upon each other so I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more about both the spatialities and the temporalities of this transitoriness. The economy of, of visibility and, and opacity is, of course, an always contested and, and oscillating one. Part of the, the underlying logic or practice, say, of, of majority communities 
was in some ways to be very, very visible. It was to, in the context of everyday life and everyday transactions, to appear, uh, to, pe- to perform, to appear on the street, to exchange, to gossip, to act, to do all kinds of things in a very highly visible way. But there was such a multiplicity of things being made visible that it was difficult to determine in the eventual disposition of what would happen in a particular community or district, just exactly what the critical processes or the proportionality of the processes that went into producing something. Because people stake their futures on eventualities, uh, the eventuality of something happening, of something being changed, and the And the source of those eventualities was this kind of highly visible melange of different kinds of fragmented performances and discourses and contestations and exchanges and brokering and all of the daily stuff that was the machinery of a particular district. And it was all visible. It was all accessible. There was nothing really hidden about this. But what no one could ever put their finger on was just exactly what kinds of combinations of things would produce a particular kind of result. But there was the faith that eventually something would happen, something transformative would happen. And so that's, in, in, in some sense, this kind of performativity, public performativity, and its relationship to the transformation of everyday life within districts. This particular kind of calculus in some ways is being, is being upended as the kinds of pressures of individuation, of the labor intensity of people's actions. That's one consideration. The other consideration is particularly now within in the in pandemic conditions where those that have long operated under the radar Mm-hmm. Those that have long been able to exert some kind of control of the visibility of their economic activities, of the way they live, of how they, how they accumulate, how they circulate, is under pressure because people need to be provided for. They need to have access to resources. So many of the kinds of invisibilities that we thought were long strategic and necessary on the part of certain kinds of bodies and actors now it's difficult because they have to make them visible themselves visible to states and charities and NGOs as a way of being able to access things. So all I'm suggesting is that the, the particular calculus in politics of what becomes visible and not visible is something that continuously changes and, and recalibrates itself given the particular exigencies at hand yeah if we take a step back or take a step back from the pandemic to think about the relationship between circulation and visibility so you talk about these bodies that appear and that present themselves and perform themselves in very particular ways even though how this appearance is constituted is never entirely clear which relates to the question of opacity but i'm still curious about the relationship between circulation and visibility and what and what it has meant in in the urban environments that you have explored whether it's in Johannesburg or Jakarta or some other parts of Southeast Asia or even Latin America 
I mean, at, at one time, if you look at particular configurations of settlement, and part of what made settlements viable in some way, particularly those that were what we would call auto-constructed, where a whole a whole way of life is collectively built, not just in terms of houses and buildings, but ways of doing things. Part of what made these settlements possible was the capacity of people to deal with each other collectively, but also have trajectories outward. Part of the stability of any particular settlement was predicated on the capacity of individuals to go outward into the larger world with their own practices, with their own destinations, with their own particular external networks. And thus, through those kinds of trajectories, open up any particular settlement to a range of different ways of doing things, different ideas, different inputs, different influences. And so you went. And so you had this kind of responsibility of both how one moved outside of a district and how one operated within. And these things operated in tandem. But larger circulations were were fairly much the purview of of individuals and their own sense of things and their own ways of doing things. But now, I mean, increasingly, the assessment of who one is and what one is capable of doing and the assessment of how dangerous one is or what kind of what kinds of challenges a particular individual existence might pose, which were oftentimes determined by one's functioning in place. You know, now with technologies and ways of assessing things that measure and track people in motion. So now the use of circulation, the, the use of moments of fugitivity, of of being able to operate outside the confines where one is normatively assessed and measured and evaluated, become part of a generalized extension of the capacity to measure, to know, to track, to survey. And so where once circulation was that kind of expression of autonomy, or also a kind of necessary means through which any particular settlement could open itself up experimentally with all kinds of interfaces with an outside world, with the larger surrounds, now becomes in some ways reconfigured. So if everything can be measured and everything can be tracked and, and people within circulation itself becomes an object of, of, of surveillance. In some ways, this alters also the very notion of what it means to settle. It alters the very notion of what it means to be in, in place. And so in some ways, if you look at the kind of logics of contemporary urban settlement across large swathes of the urban South, Settlement is, I mean, many people are stuck in place. Many people are, by virtue of who they are, their identities or their capacities are locked into highly segregated places. But on the other hand, there is a kind of increased tendency of, of people to enunciate and experience a notion of settlement in motion. 
as they travel through a wide variety of different part-time jobs, provisional living situations, so that this kind of proportionality between staying and moving, of being settled and, and having external pathways and experiences that enriched and supplemented the kind of process of settlement is being largely upended as more and more people simply move. And this is what they do. And so movement becomes the expression of, of a kind of settlement. Still to come on this edition of African Mobilities, I ask Abdul Malik Simone about how crisis has affected non-normative family structures and whether post the pandemic we will see new forms of urbanism. So you talk about, you know, non-normative family structures and how these are sort of put under strain under conditions of crisis. But I'm also wondering if the discussion of circulation is happening in two registers, that on the one hand, there's the circulation of information, the circulation of capital, which is the kind of neoliberal fantasy. And then there are these other kinds of circulations that are happening in the underlife or the undercommons or the spaces that are not seen by the sort of normative Western episteme of how the city is constituted. And so I wonder if this is also producing new forms of urbanism, which are different from the one that is imagined by the dominant or the hegemonic discourse of global capital, right? So the idea that there is a new kind of urbanism, which is an assemblage of technologies of transparency, is one particular kind of city. But then the city that you're beginning to sketch out, which is constituted by different kinds of circulations of people, different kinds of inhabiting the city, is producing a different kind of city that that elides this dominant model. But I'm wondering if, if it elides it or if it lives within that network and within that system. The ways in which we imagine the sort of structuration of urbanization processes is a kind of relay across different kinds of scalar forces and, and instantiations. Governance and administration of urban space has long tried to deploy a notion of, of gridded relations, of mm-hmm. sectors, of zones, and that the relationships amongst them are calculated according to fairly coherent entities. You have institutions with clear boundaries, you have institutions with clear competencies and vectors of authority, jurisdictions, administrations, and much of what we understand in terms of urban relationality is, is, is based on these kinds of interactions between coherent entities. And so when I talk about the inoperable, I'm, I'm also talking about these kinds of relationships that function largely out of view, both because of the pra- pragmatic necessities of our own public performances and our ability to deal with each other and to make decisions, but also because that's what the urban is. I mean, the urban is the kind of territorialization of the capacity of multiple forces and things to impact upon each other in ways which operate a kind of complexity and scale which is largely untrackable. 
And that said, the ways in, in which urban governmentality increasingly relies upon the importance of interoperability, that is the way in which different kinds of data and different kinds of experiences can be find a kind of common language of comparison and coherence through which we can work out the proportionality of Okay, how much of it is transportation? How much of it is a local budget? How much of it is people's behavior with it? How how do you work out the proportionality of the way in which different factors now finding a common language of comparison? What I'm suggesting is that in some ways, the urban is also about a kind of lived experience that operates outside of the ability to to discern proportionality. If you look at the whole new ways of enlarged peripheries and hinterlands that are replete with developments of all kinds, from industrial zones to internal ports to mega developments to affordable housing of all kinds to migrant hostels to, you know, new factories, leisure zones, all of these at these hinterlands, it's interesting if you look across cities, sit in a state of half full, half empty. That is, they're not fully operative. And so it becomes almost impossible to tell, are they working or are they not? They're not successes. They're not failures. And you begin to think, well, like, you know, why are they being built if they're not clearly profitable? Why are they being built if they're not running at full capacity? And I, and I would argue that this is part of the very logic of a kind of modality of urban development, which stakes more and more of its own, own future on this notion of eventuality. That is, we don't know exactly what will happen, but eventually something will happen. And we don't have the language to talk about that now because we don't know exactly the way in which all of these different discrete built environments and the people who operate within them mm-hmm. are relating to each other because there's no, there's no clear infrastructure there that specifies the relationship. That is, all of these things are being rolled out, you know, in, on, in land and in jurisdictions that are highly contested, no one's taking responsibility for. Uh, and so this, for me, even, even the, the, very, the very manifestations of a kind of urban capital on steroids exemplifies a certain kind of notion of inoperable relations. I mean, I think it's really interesting because there are two questions I wanted to ask. The first was around the question of language, but I also wanted to to think about this question of this trinity of circulation, infrastructure, and communication as the dominant modes through which um, the industrial city or even the post-industrial city is understood, but also the attention that you are pointing to in the way that we think through cities, which is that there are always these kind of occult forces at work and that it isn't necessarily or exclusively the provenance of those who are outside the workings of mainstream capital, but rather that it's something that there's something about obscurity and incomputability 
that lies at the heart of the way that a kind of the modern economy operates and also the way that modern cities operate. So there's something reductive about only thinking about cities in relation to um, technological mobility, circulations and infrastructures, because there are other practices at play that make the city possible. And it also means that it, it's increasingly difficult to speculate or to, to imagine what that future might be. It also raises for me some really interesting questions around, even though there is this kind of overwhelming sort of structure, right, this kind of imagined cybernetic world order, that there are also strategies of interruption and the role of slowness, the role that slowness plays in, in terms of creating openings in the city for these alternative everyday practices to emerge. And I was wondering if we could shift the discussion a little bit closer to the core of this idea of the inoperable relation um, or inoperable relations and what that means for our understanding of collective life. I'm trying to write a proposal right now that looks at that very, very thing, particularly with, with an increasingly youthful population within many urban regions of the South that face a prospect of always being youth in the sense that this prolonged temporality of transitoriness where they don't really, many don't ever really arrive at a kind of destination of, of adulthood as it's normatively defined. And the way in which they use their own circulations as a kind of instrument to try to connect different aspects of a kind of new form of the metropolitan that links expansive distances, it links extraction zones and plantations and ports and new enlarged residential peripheries where they use their own body and their own movement as a kind of tool to try to connect things that seem to be increasingly moving away from each other at the very same time in which they are being enveloped and cohered through more intensive kinds of at least economic articulations. One sees the extensivity of ways in which youth are in are in motion and circulating through different kinds of versions of possible versions of themselves, trying to find new forms of belonging, experiencing at the same time, oftentimes intensely racialized anxieties about who they are in relationship to others, but at the same time, appropriating certain kinds of racial tropes as a kind of vernacular in which to negotiate forms of belonging that go beyond religion and ethnicity. And so it's a fairly dynamic process in ways of which trying to figure out ways of, of belonging and experiencing collectivity on the run and within urban atmospheres where the transitory plays both a role of exclusion and inclusion at the same time. 
I mean, I'm thinking about the way in which I conceptualized the African Mobilities Project. And it emerged at a moment when mass media was sort of replete with images of African people crossing the Mediterranean. And the dominant figure around moving black bodies was the figure of death, right? So the moving black body as a figure of crisis that's already dead before it arrives on the other side of the ocean. And I'm really interested in the way that this formulation of movement, of circulation, begins to suggest a desire, the possibility of freedom. In some ways, there's a way in which one could think about even the circulation of racialized bodies is a form of hacking the existing structures of power, of segregation in the city, which is maybe why they receive such violent responses, but also the possibility of these kinds of lateral movements as forms of experimentation, which is what you're suggesting, right? That's to move and to move across boundaries, to to transgress socially marked territories, whether it's in the city or at a global scale, is a kind of an argument around a different kind of world order that, that is being imagined into being. Still to come on this edition of African Mobilities. I want to move us on to a discussion just around, you know, some of your influences or inspirations in the way that you approach urban environments. There's something about the way that you write about circulation, about movement across diverse urban environments that is not seeking to be totalizing, but trying to find a register that can account for these singularities. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you're able to produce a language that enables this. You know, is it is it from listening to new music? Is it particular kind of theoretical positions around post-structuralism? What are the sources? I might only say that as an urbanist, trying to work in very kinds of granular investigations within very complicated districts of the urban South, that there was music provided a certain technology of imagining a relational complexity, of being able to experience ways in which things that didn't seem to belong things that didn't seem to go together, things that seemed to be so far apart and illogical, really could interweave themselves around each other and produce something both unprecedented and concrete. And so in terms of being able to imagine and to be able to see the relationalities within complicated urban situations. I, it was a musical background and, and, and particularly the constant kinds of experimentations that took place, you know, from Ornette to Roscoe Mitchell to now Tyrone Sorley to Nicole Mitchell to now Mother Moore that enable one to really place oneself within a kind of matrix of sense that manages to get out of a certain kind of linearity of the page, of the text, 
yeah, so that's that's one thing. I mean, in more recent years, this kind of profusion of critical Black thought that manages to refigure the the notion of the of the human of the resident to be able to posit particular kinds of inventive notions of the relationship between individual humans and the notion of sociality in ways that really go beyond the kinds of sociological training that many of us have had have really been important and and here again the you know the kind of um, always the invoked references of Sylvia Winter, of Hortense Spillers, of Cydia Hartman, in their ways of being able to find a kind of notion of fleshiness that is somehow in the interstitial, muscular sensibility of something between a self that was never able to be a self and a people that was never able to be a people, but yet something gets worked out, something gets proposed, something gets operationalized. And then, of course, I mean, in in Fred Moten's monumental trilogy where you you have this kind of proposition of, of a tremulous we... Um, that is really important in terms of trying to rethink what is collective life outside of the kinds of forms of social movements and organizations that we tend to attribute the notion of collectivity to. In closing, I was wondering whether what this focus on circulation or a focus on circulation tells us about the future of cities, particularly from the majority world? Well, I think in a fairly conventional way, it tells us that we, we can't only assess what it means to inhabit and, or the urban simply by assessing the quality and the composition and functioning of specific kinds of urban settlements that embodied within those things at the moment is not only a kind of percolating turbulence, not only because of uncertainties about where cities are going in terms of their willingness and ability to provide for the majority, but also simply because inhabiting is something increasingly done on the move. And this is not only reflecting of the insufficiency of particular settlement, but it says something about a kind of landscape of the city where if you're going to make it, you it is increasingly a kind of speculative process of being at the right place at the right time. And you can't anticipate that in advance. The only way that you're going to know it is to be there when it happens. And the only way that you're going to be there when it happens is if you are willing to move. 
or be in movement. And that there are, for particular kinds of bodies and actors, uh, a whole range of different kinds of circulations and, and strategies and tactics, ways of crisscrossing urban spaces. And it's important to pay attention to those circuitries because this is the, probably the only way in to see how any measure of coherence is possible for large, extended urban, urban territories. Well, with that, profound and deep thanks um, to you, Abdul Malik Samoan, for sharing your thoughts and your meditations around the question of circulation, dislocation, but also how bodies in motion hold with them the possibility of transgressing and creating spaces of freedom in the city in spite of all of the forces that are working to foreclose the possibility of alternative forms of living together coming into being um, for sexual others and racial others and the majority of the world's urban population who remain predominantly poor. This keynote podcast on circulations by Abdul Malik Simone was made possible with the support of the Goethe Institute, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, the Witz Institute of Social and Economic Research, the African Center for Migration and Society, and the Witz School of Architecture and Planning at the University of the Witwatersrand. Mm-hmm.